Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. My name is Peter Ravella, a co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Well, Tyler, we got a great show today and a topic we've never had on the American Shoreline Podcast in our first 225 shows on the network. We are talking today to two very important people involved in management of the American coast and the research and science behind it all. We have as guest today, Rebecca Roth, the executive director of the National Estuarine Research Reserve Association from Wells, Maine, and Lisa Auermiller, the uh, president and assistant manager of the National Estuarine Research Reserve Association and the assistant manager of the Jacques Cousteau National Estuarine Research Reserve in Tuckerton, New Jersey. Welcome to the show, Rebecca and Lisa. Thank you. Yeah. Well, guys, welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. And Peter, the reason why this is such an amazing show is that we will be in attendance at the upcoming Social Coast Forum in early February. And uh, this show is going to be kind of a primer show where we're going to learn all about the Social Coast Forum, where it, how it yeah. came to be, why it is so important, and what we can expect out of this year's forum. But before we get into it, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by two sponsors, LJA Engineering, one of the premier coastal and civil engineering firms on the Gulf Coast of America with 30 offices and more than 1,100 employees. Their new Coastal Resiliency Division leaders in coastal analysis and management. You can learn all about LJA at lja.com. And we are also brought to you by our good friends at Coastal Transplants from Wilmington, North Carolina. Steve Mercer and his team are some of the best dune restorers and vegetators in the business. They travel along the entire southeastern seaboard all the way around the Gulf of Mexico collecting seed stock and they native go back seed. native seed stock from these various uh, climates and uh, growing regions, bring them back to their farm, cultivate seedlings, and then will plant up your dunes with native dune plants. Ladies and gentlemen, they are the, some of the best in the business. Check them out at coastaltransplants.com. Well, Rebecca and Lisa, thank you for doing the show. And as Tyler said, we, we are really looking forward to going to the uh, Coastal Social Coast Forum 2020 in Charleston, South Carolina, coming up February 3rd through 6th. So just in a few weeks, and we're really looking forward to attending and bringing our listeners coverage of that great conference. But we also want to learn something and help our listeners around the country understand better. What is the National Estuarine Research Reserve system and what is the association? So let's talk about first, Lisa, if you could, as the assistant manager of the Jacques Cousteau National Estuarine Research Reserve in New Jersey, what is this? What is a National Estuarine Research Reserve? Sure. Uh, a National Estuarine Research Reserve, which I will admit is a mouthful, is uh, a place, one of 29 places around the country where land is designated as uh, very high quality, special places where people can come visit, come do research, 
come and enjoy, learn more about the coast, learn more about how they can protect it and learn how we're all a part of a national estuarine system around the country. Uh, we are all at local reserves, all 29 of us are partners with NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And then we also all have local partners at our state levels. So for me at the Jacques Cousteau Reserve, our local partner is Rutgers University, but in other states that state partner may be a Department of Environmental Protection or a Department of Environmental Conservation. But one of the things we love to say about reserves due to our federal and state partnership affiliations is that we are very locally relevant, but we are very nationally significant. And uh, that is an easy way to remember a little bit about the reserve system and our partnership. Can we dive into that a little bit more, uh, Lisa, and learn about how uh, we, maybe we just take the this Jacques Cousteau uh, Reserve by example. Tell us a little bit about how it is locally uh, integrated and nationally significant. How does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. We, as I mentioned, are managed by Rutgers University. So we actually are not up on main campus um, up in New Brunswick, which is uh, a part of a more urban part of New Jersey. We are located down at the coast and are as staff immersed in the local coastal issues and um, are working and living among the people of the coast, which helps really benefit the job that we do in understanding what their needs are, what the local experiences are with changing coastal conditions that uh, we are seeing all around uh, the coast of the world, quite honestly. And um, so being that uh, embedded location and embedded resource to the local decision makers, to the local visitors, to the local residents here, we not only bring the science and the knowledge behind what Rutgers is doing for the state, but we also bring through our NOAA partner partnership, the national importance, the national data, and then can also bring in the data and the resources that are transferable from the other 28 reserves around the country. So we really benefit not only from being embedded locally, but then also what our colleagues around the country are doing and some of the main national issues that are happening at the NOAA level. Um, so that's a, that's a brief overview of how we function. Great. <clears throat> well, you know, I think the key word in the National Estuarine Research Reserve title is estuary. And these parts of the American shoreline or estuaries worldwide our listeners know are critically important for the environmental health of our coast and the economic health of our coast. Uh, the estuary is what Congress focused on. And the, this system that you work in and the association supports uh, is a congressionally created uh, scientific research program. Is that a fair way to understand this thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is fair. It's factual. We are a congressionally uh, legislated program. We fall under the Coastal uh, Zone Management Act. Uh, our first reserve was the South Slough Reserve in Oregon and was designated 
1974. And since then, um, we continue to grow, not only in amount of acreage that is part of the resource system, but in the true network and the family, which is the staff that make up the reserve system, which is a, and actually a very special part of working for a reserve is that you not only have your immediate local reserve family, but then you also have this amazing network of almost 200 people strong now that um, all are very passionate about working at reserves around the country. Um, so I think, I think while you're right, uh, technically about our legislative um, uh, mandate and the work that we do, there's a lot more underneath there. I guess that kind of gets at the social aspect of the social coach forum, but um, working in a reserve is a very special thing. I, I completely agree. And we're, we're going to get into that. And I, I just want to direct this next question uh, to Rebecca about this, about the family here. Uh, Rebecca, you lead this organization uh, and, um, you know, that you've got, I believe you said 29 uh, uh, reserves around the American shoreline um, on the West Coast, on the East Coast, on the Gulf Coast. They are everywhere. Chances are, if you're listening to this program, there's one pretty close to you. And there's chances are you, you might have been there and visited and, uh, you know, participated in, in some programs. So these are absolute. But I, I am I'm I'm absolutely curious how how this family operates. Uh, it goes from the local level, as you have said, all the way up to the federal level, high level policy, all the way down to city councils and and local advocacy groups. Tell us about, you know, the, this is a, fa- a family, as you put it, that with with, you know, that has been woven out of uh, people from all different levels and passions, etc. cetera. Uh, Rebecca, tell us a little bit about how you manage this organization uh, with that in mind. Sure. And first, let me just say thank you so much uh, for having us on uh, Tyler and Peter. This is great. A great opportunity. And it is a large family, um, not just the coastal areas that you mentioned. We also include the Great Lakes. Um, And the family is not just the people that, um, you know, this is their day job, as Lisa pointed out, almost 200 strong. And it's not just our partners. It's also um, part of communities. These areas of land exist in a community. And because of that, um, we have all different um, types of people, age-wise, demographic-wise, um, gender-wise, et cetera, that come together in these communities to give their name, to maybe give their time, to maybe give their money, to really support um, these places locally. And that's about 35,000 people um, that we count in terms of local friends groups and volunteers and people that just really love where they live and they love visiting the places and and being part of something bigger. Um, As you mentioned, this is something that Um, As a nation, we said we care about having these special areas um, in place in perpetuity. And we want to know what's happening on our coasts. So can we have these special research reserves in place so that they can inform how we we live and how we we manage the 
different commercial and visitor serving industries that our coasts are so dependent on. So, um, you know, being a part of this level of engagement um, of individuals, some are working professionals, retired families. I mean, it's it's everybody who comes together to support and talk about and and really share the enthusiasm of the work that happens along you know this these stretches of coastal areas so um it's a labor of love for all of us because uh at the end of the day um we know that this this large these large number of people that are engaged and care about the places um are going to help also um, protect them and look to make, you know, their coastal areas um, more resilient, stronger um, and safer for communities and visitors alike. That sounds like a fantastic agenda, engaging the public to uh, to better understand these unique and special coastal areas and advocate for their protection and proper economic use. Really an important role that the National Estuarine Research Reserve uh, plays along the American shoreline. Is it fair to say, and, I, and, and this is, I don't really fully understand what this stuff is all about, but let's, the, the National Estuarine Research Reserve is a program that is designed to engage the public, but also to understand uh, what happens in these complex estuarine systems. There's a lot of science involved in the near system. Can uh, Rebecca or and Lisa, can you both talk a little bit about about the scientific research work and the kinds of priorities? What is the top? What is, what's at the top of your list as an organization and in the near system? Uh, inform our listeners a little bit about that. Okay, um, maybe I'll go first, and then Lisa can um, augment. Lead off, that. Rebecca. Okay, I'll take it on. That was, there was a lot in your question. Um, so you've got it. You've got it really correctly in terms of the focus of these places um, is is to um, to do good science, and um, that, I think that's one thing um, that uh, certainly you know. Uh, local um, local governments and states and um, those uh, practitioners who are interested in good information, I think that's something that they've grown to depend on is that this sort of trusted independent science happens at the reserves. Um, and it happens by um, a researcher that's employed at each reserve. It happens by um other researchers coming in and and doing um, you know testing out uh, different um, different hypotheses and and um, and areas of interest, testing them right there in these protected areas. Um, it happens from us pu- pulling together all the information um, that happens that that occurs at each of the reserves, pulling it together and telling. Um, more of a national story about what's happening in estuaries. And it happens because of the way the research reserves do their work. And it's really simple. They do their work in a way that um, asks quest- that answers questions that communities have, whether it's 
what's happening to the water quality from our failing septic systems, or whether it's what's the best practices, um, ways to better inform the public about the changes to climate in their community. It happens because these are questions that come percol percolating up from the bottom and that collaboratively, the reserves reach out to numerous partners. They don't do this alone. Numerous local partners, as well as state and national partners to help answer the questions that are really on the mind that's going on locally. So we call that collaborative research because it's messy. When you have to get in and answer a question that somebody has, and you think you know what you need to prescribe to them, um, as a doctor would prescribe to a person they've never seen, it doesn't work unless you get in there and you get to know the, the specifics, the issues, the information, the science and, um, and, and, and whatnot that's happening locally, then you can really respond with helpful scientific information. And the other thing that's really important about the, what all 29 reserves do is that every 15 minutes they are monitoring um, they're monitoring the um, areas in their reserve with information that, that relates and helps um, people that are making decisions from a, should we close the beach? What's the water quality level? What's the water quality in a particular area? Should we, um, should we do um, go out today and harvest for our shellfish? What is, what's the information we have on salinity? So all reserves are every, have monitoring in place where every 15 minutes they're taking in data that can be, that can be accessible to um, researchers, to members of the public, to health officials, to you know, industry folks. So that's kind of, um, I guess, a large sort of brush stroke of what I see being so um, significant with respect to the research that goes on at all of these sites. What a great overview. Thanks a lot, uh, Rebecca. And Lisa, uh, the, the role, what, what, what captured me about that overview uh, was the, the very real truth that local decision makers, local elected officials, state officials, and federal folks who manage and deal with our complex estuaries need to understand these systems as much as they can, as accurately and as comprehensively as they can, in order to make good management decisions. As you were saying, should the beach be open closed? What's going on with erosion? What's the water quality like? How are the shellfish doing? What's going on in the fishery? All of these complex inter uh, in, uh, issues that have to be understood in order to make good management decisions. And the National Estuarine Research Reserve is a high-quality scientific organization that is embedded in the community and engaged in the community. I've seen it work on projects I have uh, participated in in the past. The reopening of Cedar Bayou on the Texas coast uh, was in the neighborhood of the Mission Aransas, Aransas National Estuarine Research Reserve. The post-project monitoring protocols were developed by the NEAR staff and the and the monitoring program was executed by them to see how this project, which was important to the local community, affected the, uh, the Aransas-based system. And so it's such a key role. Let's talk about what the association does to support the National 
Estuarine Research Reserve. And Rebecca, of course, you're the executive director of the Estuarine Research Reserve Association. Lisa, you're the president of that organization. Uh, Lisa, tell us why the association matters uh, and who's involved in that. Yeah, sure. Um, The association matters because the places that the reserve system works in uh, excites people about um, provide stewardship opportunities for people to participate in um, is uh, better off by having a national friends group, which is known as NERA, to help further educate about the important work the reserve system does, to educate Congress about um, as our system grows, we need more and more resources to continue to do the high quality work and ensure our sites uh, continue to be managed and monitored uh, at the high level that we have set for ourselves as a reserve system. And as Rebecca mentioned that um, folks making decisions have come to rely on uh, the data and the monitoring we provide to really inform um, I mean, in some cases, not to exaggerate, uh, uh, public health kind of level decision making. So the Reserve Association really functions to just like you could think of uh, a local friends group would support the work happening in their own backyard. NERA, the National Friends Group, works to support the national level work that we do. Um, Rebecca and I like to think of our role in um, uh, directing and overseeing, prioritizing the work of NERA as really um, focused on some pillars or some very um, very important focal areas that we prioritize our work in. And so those are educating others about the important work reserves do, advocating to Congress about uh, our needs as we continue to grow And as we continue to want to implement new, um, bigger, better programs for the reserve system, uh, building partnerships like our partnership with you today and like partnerships that will happen throughout the Social Coast meeting um, and NERA's uh, uh, help in supporting and hosting that conference is one of the ways in which we, we work to be a good partner to NOAA to help them put that conference on. Um, so those are some of, of the key things that we as a reserve association do on behalf of the entire reserve system. Awesome. And boy, this really brings it into clarity why the Social Coast Forum makes sense. And, uh, you know, I just I'm just going <laughs> to riff on this notion. But, you know, it really it really does make sense to me, Peter, because what we have here is a uh, a, a grassroots to all the way up to like high end federal management of our public areas. And what is cool about this, and this is an age old problem when you're managing the public square, is that we 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 will fight about how that is done. And uh, if there's the perception that the uh, rules are coming down from on high from some out of touch, uh, either uh, leader, bureaucrat, elected official, whoever it is, uh, the people will not like or respect the rules 
Um, they will resent the rules. They probably won't follow the rules. And eventually the rules will become completely ineffective. The management decisions become completely ineffective. And by integrating in these, these uh, estuary programs, by I- integrating them into the community, really looking at a bottom-up perspective, it, it gives the science, it gives, the com- it, it gives these organizations community support. And right there, you see a value statement about where the, about the importance of understanding people. And uh, Rebecca, I'm going to direct this to you. Uh, we'll give our audience just a, an overview of the Social Coast Forum. I, I understand, I believe there have been four of them previously, is my understanding. Uh, tell us, give us a little brief history of the Social Coast Forum. Sure. Um, yes, you have it right. There have been four. And the story of the Social Coast Forum is is actually kind of fun. It's a non-traditional sort of um, way that th- this conference came about. It was this sort of um, moment in time, you know, nine, nine or so years ago when NOAA's Office for Coastal Management really wanted to push the envelope. Um, they wanted to figure out, you know, how they could support um, local, state, you know, private, uh, you know, folks that were interested in protecting the coast, how they could support them, bring them together, but in the face of growing population and development pressures, how they could support them at getting at managing all the people and what could they do different and more creatively that would resonate and would help bring some of these tougher issues to the forefront. So you had a, a visionary leader, Margaret Davidson, and you had two extraordinarily creative colleagues, Ginger Hinchcliffe and Jan Kukluk. And they came together and said, how about we do this Social Coast Forum? And Margaret was crazy enough to go, let's do this. Let's push it. Let's try it, which seemed kind of outside on the fringe at the time. Um, And people loved it. And it is packed, sold out every year since. So the last four conferences have been sold out standing room only because they are so inspiring and they, it's a conference that hasn't, you know, that we haven't seen traditionally done in our coastal management lives um, since I've been um, doing uh, coastal management work for a lot of years, more than it eight. It definitely so, stands out. Yep. <laughs> well, it, it, and it does. And I think it's, it's so important what you're doing with the Social Coast Forum. It is the human, what I say is the human dimension of coastal management. There's complex decisions that are getting made. The environmental health of our shorelines is so critical. There's economic trade-offs to consider. And none of these programs and policies function if the human community that is resides along the shoreline and the American public more broadly understands it. So I, I think uh, I completely agree with you. This, there's nothing like this. When I looked at the agenda for the Social Coast Forum, it was a conference agenda I had never seen before in my 25 years of working on the American shoreline. And I am really looking forward. I wish I had gone to the first four because it looks so important. And let's talk a little bit about the content of this conference, February 3rd through 6th in Charleston, South Carolina. It's already sold out about, I guess, more than what you're expecting. How many people are you expecting to come? Um, I, I think we're getting, we're over, we're well into the 250s, 260. I think we're, we're going to be close to um, 
We're going to be close to 300. I don't think we're going to make it, um, but it, because we just don't wow. have capacity. But yeah. Well, what, so the 300, let's say, folks who are going to come to the coastal, uh, the Social Coast Forum and uh, participate in that, can either of you give us an overview of what they're going to learn about? Well, I'll jump in. Um, you know, I think, you know, the objective of the Coastal Forum, Coastal Social Coast Forum, ah, um, the objective is to purposefully bring the social science into the mix when we talk about protecting coastal communities, when we talk about the people who live, work and recreate, you know, there. Social science does not have all the answers for sure. Um, but it, you know, it gets us away from the traditional conversations around the economics, around retrofitting communities, infrastructure, and all the things that we um, can easily quantify and take on in the context of helping coastal communities. And, and, it, and it steps us apart um, from that default approach to just talking about things that are, are, like I said, easy to quantify, that we're comfortable having conversations around. When you look at social science, it's a skill set that really is, it's, it's representative of an essential part of the equation, you know, for sure. Um, you know, this is how we ensure that, um, and what we'll see at the, in the forum agenda is that we're really trying to get at every segment of our community. Um, so that when we think about, um, prevention and recovery and adapting in the face of climate change that is so on the forefront of people's minds that live along the coast that we're, we are thinking we're, we're getting out of, you know, going beyond economics and rhetoric and we're delving into the realities, the realities that, of what people are facing and how we can um, really learn from those beliefs, um, you know, those life experiences those people that, that live and work and recreate in these places, how can we learn from them? How can we better serve them? And how can and how have we been adapting our um, approach to including everyone in, in protecting you know, the coastal communities? Um, so there is a lot on the agenda that's packed in, um, again, about um, things that, you know, social science that has already occurred projects that people are working on in the realm of, you know, blue economy, in the realm of how can we not have everything, you know, concrete along the coast and we can keep some, some green there um, in dealing with flood and hazard issues and how people respond and in really what, how people value these places. You know, they, they value living in these areas and what's, how do they value it and how can we help, um, further and and protect the pieces of what they value. So really understanding those 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 parts of it um, and at least at least um, agreeing or talking about what we don't know. So it's it's a mixed bag, like I said, of of research that has occurred, of research that's ongoing and just being really clear that there are some areas where we still um, you know, we're still in the dark on and we still haven't advanced that we need to do more. For, so D definitely. And, you know, it is a visionary type of idea here. And, you know, uh, 
Rebecca, I, I hear everything you're saying um, about these concerns, but there's another word I'd like to introduce into the conversation when we're talking about people, and that is the emotionality of this. Um, you know, uh, much of coastal America is faced with an anxiety of the future. Um, and these spaces are incredibly dynamic. We talk about it with this entire podcast network is dedicated to exploring, uh, just how dynamic these spaces are. And, uh, people really care about the shoreline and the land water interface and, uh, how we treat it and what is going to happen to it. So uh, one of the things that I'm just so fascinated about, and Lisa, I'd like to direct this question to you, is, you know, when this, basically, what are, what are some trends that have emerged, you know, going back to the, to the first uh, Social Coast Forum to this upcoming one, have there been any trends or evolutions in the program uh, that in response to uh, attendees and what they're telling you? Yeah, I, I think true to form that this is a social coast focused, social science focused conference. Um, one thing you will notice on the agenda pretty consistently every year, so I guess you could call it a trend, um, is that this is not your typical sit and listen to someone talking at you conference. If, if you want that sort of session, you can choose it and get it. But at the same time, you might also interact with a group of people that want to walk you through a new coastal management tool that they produced and want to get your feedback on it. Or there's people that have um, a specific challenge they're trying to unpack around a social um, coastal issue and they want a think tank of people to sit in a room together and talk about it. So I think a very clear, consistent trend throughout the conference has been we want to meet people and meet the professionals working on the social science field of the coast where they're at. We want to provide them a conference experience that allows them to engage with the best sort of adult learning practices that are out there and that isn't always sitting in a conference room with a PowerPoint and um, hearing about your research objectives, your methods and your results. I mean, sometimes it's that and that can be effective too, but it, it's a lot more than that. So that's certainly a trend. Um, I know in the conferences that I have taken part in over the year that another trend is really thinking about and you, you've already mentioned it, it's that people are so deeply and emotionally connected to the coast. Um, one of the conferences that I participated in was right after Superstorm Sandy hit the New Jersey shoreline. And I was um, asked to come talk um, with a group of other panelists at an opening plenary around um, not so much what were the coastal hazard dynamics of the water as it hit the Jersey Shore, but what really have we seen change about the shoreline and about the people living, working, managing that shoreline in the time post-Sandy? And it was still pretty fresh. Um, it was uh, probably uh, not even a full six months after Sandy, so... The panel was made up of uh, 
uh, emergency manager from a, a highly impacted municipality, uh, a member of a um, New Jersey nonprofit that was really looking out for the best interests of people that maybe typically don't get a voice or have the resources to have a voice in their needs for recovery post-storm. So it's those sorts of emotional, real topics, real um, like everyday life topics of what it means to live and work along the coast that I think is a very, very um, important part of why, as Rebecca said, this event gets sold out every year. Lisa, a quick follow-up question. Uh, and I, you know, I, I think that we've kind of maybe breezed through this, but just so our audience has an idea, can you kind of sketch out who, like, what are the, who, who attends this thing? Are these managers or these, you know, civilians coming in who are, you know, concerned who's, who's in attendance? Um, well, I'm, I'm also going to ask Rebecca to add in here. Uh, but in the ones that I have attended, the type of participant you have are folks like me, practitioners that work day to day to understand the needs of bringing science or translating science or into uh, policy or into uh, getting it into the hands of decision makers. So people that like literally day to day use social science techniques in their job to improve the management of the coast. Um, I think you also have uh, researchers who uh, maybe are their science field of expertise is social science. And so they may be faculty at a university um, and they may have students, graduate students or undergraduate students who um, just like a typical natural, uh, natural science conference come to present their research, come to learn from others and network with colleagues. So uh, those are two groups of common participants. Rebecca, I'll turn to you to see if you want to add any additional categories. So in addition to what you mentioned, I would just um, also uh, reiterate private sector um, folks and nonprofit uh, organization representatives uh, as well um, who have an interest in the suite of, of environmental and social science data and, and conversations that are happening at this forum. You know, I, I, I got to tell you, in, in, in reviewing the agenda that came out, and folks who are listening, I would encourage you to go online, Google up Social Coast Forum 2020, and take a look at this agenda. It is so different and so unique, and the emphasis is unlike anything that ASBPA, Coastal States Organization, some of the technical and science conferences contend with. I was impressed. Some things that jumped out at me thematically about the conference that you've put together. There is an emphasis here, as I said, on we're talking about the human dimension of coastal management, but it's hard to avoid the notion that you're discussing equity along the shoreline, social, economic equity, and and uh, community relationships along the shoreline. There's a big focus on human health. Uh, the keynote speaker is some I'm really looking forward to hearing. And I'm, if I don't pronounce this right, please apologize to me. But the keynote speaker, Suralai Sutaria Patel, the deputy director for the Center for Public Health Policy at the American Public Health Association. I have never been to a conference and heard someone 
from that perspective speak? Can you talk about your keynote speaker and why that's at the top of the bill? Sure. Um, we are thrilled to have Cyrilli Patel speak. Um, I, uh, I've heard her um, interact with large groups before. And really, um, I, I think that Cyrilli gets to the heart of the matter of helping everybody along the coast. And she takes, on, she takes this um, perspective um, and this talk from the vantage point of the public health and the association, the American Public Health Association with which she works, and really, um, you know, talks about the impacts of public health um, from climate change and that it, and what's happening today, and underscores in bold and walks people through how this crisis affects us all, and in particular. Um, those who don't have as many resources to um, to help themselves, the elderly, children, um, minorities, uh, lower socioeconomic folks, and really looking at how we take care of all the people in our communities and prepare um, everyone and respond and rebuild in a way that is um, that brings the community together. And really, I think, brings out the best in all of us as we work to um, protect coastal communities from what is happening, whether we like it or not, in, uh, with respect to climate change and, and kind of level that playing field so that um, there can be that additional support that's needed and really recognize what's needed for, for many members of our community that don't have um, the same loud voice that others might have. And mm -hmm. so um, I think it's, it's going to be inspiring because um, she will challenge the group. I think she'll challenge all of us there to really um, recognize that, you know, while we're, you know, the first generation, and I know I can speak from experience watching my own kids, um, you know, really, you know, process through at a young age, like, what are we going to do? And how is this how are we going to make a difference because it's the climate's changing and what's going to happen to our world. So we're really the first generation dealing with that level of responding, of feeling the impacts. And, and I think she's going to challenge everyone to say, but we are able to do something about it. We're the, we're the generation that can do something about it now mm. as well. So uh, it's really exciting. It, it is. And I, I have to tell you that when I think about this agenda and look at the, uh, the content of the conference, the participants I would like to see in the future and who I would like to, if I had a dream, wish were in attendance are the coastal engineers and the technical people who are asked to come up with solutions to the challenges on the American shoreline. It's so important that they understand. I love this, Peter. They, yeah, this conference would infuse their thinking with a perspective that I don't find in any of coastal planning processes that I've been engaged in, is to really dig deep and understand the socioeconomic, uh, what is at stake socially and economically and in the communities of people along the American shoreline. It's not necessarily going to be in a plan or spec for a project, but to understand or to misunderstand the socioeconomic implications of what we're doing in the billions of dollars that we're spending on the American shoreline to respond to risk, it, it, it's detrimental to the outcome, I think. Can you all talk about that? I mean, it is 
the considerations that this conference brings to the fore, social equity, human health, community relationships, um, why is that important that that thinking be included in our planning and response to the challenges of the American shoreline? And Rebecca or Lisa? So I, I think that's such an awesome observation and such an awesome question. I was actually in um, a, a workshop yesterday where our state coastal program in New Jersey was gathering input on their coastal management strategies for the next five years and was sitting at a table at lunch, uh, just sort of reflecting with a group of colleagues around how one of the missing sectors represented in that meeting was the business, sort of the people with the the purse strings, the people with the money, the the developing groups along the coast. And so I think the point you bring up is really important. It's that every sector has a role along the coast um, and it's really only through the appreciation of each other's role and um, appreciating what our shared value is um, to find common ground to then move forward is probably the way that we're going to start really making a difference along the coast. Um, It's not easy to do. It's not hard to remove yourself from your own opinions and values and start considering those of others. Um, But I think you make a really amazing point that we are not going to get very far or get anywhere if we don't start considering Um, the bigger picture. And really, as you point out, the socioeconomic, the people who aren't even starting this race towards resilience, even at the starting line, they're starting further back than the starting line. So making sure we we get everyone even at the same starting point is something that's going to take a lot of work even even to begin with. So I will. Um, I wanted to add. Uh, likewise, I think this is a fantastic question, and I'm, I'm super passionate um, about this topic from my years of land use planning um, in California, and I, I really think that developing those equitable coastal policies and and including everyone, I believe, is at the heart of why Congress passed the Coastal Zone Management Act in 1972. This is supposed to be. Um, our statement, our collective statement of, of value for the coastal areas, for all people um, and critters. <laughs> and, 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 and it's not supposed to be mutually exclusive of one entity or another, but how we actually um, involve you know, members of our community, our neighbors, our families, people that this isn't where they're gonna spend their day Um, or their pennies is to travel to South Carolina to be at this forum, but they still are really um, committed to making their coastal community safer and more resilient against climate change and how we, we as the practitioners, and when I say we, it is, as Lisa said, it is a big table of a lot of interest. It is, it is the engineers. It is the real estate developers. It is the nonprofits. It's academia. It's all of all of the many faces that you can imagine around the table. They need to be there, but it is hard to have one face that is like, and here's, here's your family member. Here's the public who 
This isn't their line of work. This isn't what they do um, to, to bring food home. But this is something that they care about, too, whatever their means are. And so really thinking of our work in the context of the greater public, um, I think, is the biggest challenge we faced um, in coastal management since the passage of the act in 72 and since we've been having this conversation as a nation. And so this is why when I say, oh, it's really exciting to have Cerilli speak, I think it's I think it brings us back to who we are. It, it focuses us on that north uh, on the north of our compass of caring about the people and communities, uh, again, our families, our friends, our neighbors, um, you know, and how we can make it, you know, better and help everybody because everyone really needs to be brought up if we're going to have, you know, communities that are economically viable and, and, you know, infrastructure in place, et cetera, but everybody needs to be part of it. So, um, great question. And I am excited for the forum, um, the different conversations, uh, segments, uh, within the meeting, um, that are going to be interactive and, um, provocative along that topic area. So, Thank you. Well, and we are just absolutely stoked beyond belief to be there and to be podcasting uh, from the Social Coast Forum 2020 in Charleston and sharing it with our uh, global audience, uh, who um, many of which will be a part, you know, folks who obviously will not be in attendance, but part of our broader uh, social coastal scene. And uh, I just were just absolutely thrilled to be there. Uh, now, I'm going to direct this one to you, Rebecca. Um, this is just a quick question, but I noticed kind of the subheader of, of the Social Coast Forum is social science for coastal decision making. Is that this year's theme or is this just a general Social Coast Forum theme? You know, it is a general Social Coast Forum theme. <laughs> Well, there you have it. It's very simple. Social science for coastal decision making, which is which we have covered, is absolutely essential. Now, Peter already brought up the keynote, but I think uh, to conclude this show and to kind of round out the show, we should kind of go through this year's agenda. And uh, I know that it's just packed full of interesting stuff. In fact, uh, we've we've had a couple of the uh, of the participants actually on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. The uh, what's it? Power Play Theater, I believe is what it's called. Yeah. Uh, have, has been on the, our, our audience will remember uh, those guys from the University of New Hampshire. Uh, but Rebecca, take us through the, take us through uh, day one of the forum. Let's just say you're showing up. There we are. We're in Charleston. Uh, what can we expect? Well, <laughs> um, I'll do my best um, to take Get us excited. <laughs> okay. Well, let me get you excited by saying we have, um, a very cool welcoming from a local VIP, um, Congressman Cunningham from South Carolina, um, will be um, opening up our meeting to welcome people to his state and district. And, and we are delighted um, to have him join all of us. So that will kick off the morning. Um, as we've already talked, we will hear from Cirilli, who will kind of get us, you know, kind of set the set the table and challenge, if you will, for our engagement in the, the rest of the week. Um, we'll be joined by Nicole LaBeouf, who is the acting National Ocean Service Director, um, just a phenomenal speaker and someone who is very passionate about social sciences and, and what the Office for Coastal Management has been doing. 
Um, and then we will just be kicking off our day. And there are highlights that um, are in so many different topic areas that there's got to be something that appeals. But I will just maybe um, spotlight a few things um, that, that I think are, you know, um, innovative and, and certainly um, on point with with some of the creativity that we've been um, mentioning. Uh, we do have um, our very own Dr. Kristen Goodrich, who is the coastal training uh, coordinator at the Tijuana Reserve in Southern California. And she has completed her research on adaptive minds and the psychological needs of coastal adaptation. And it's really focused on those first responders, um, of which there will be many in the room, but people that are helping communities deal with climate change and how are they actually, you know, uh, how are they being able to process um, the challenges, um, the triggers, the, the the real people side of of the hardship that occurs when um, a disaster hits? Um, so that's a, that's an exciting first day event. There's going to be an interactive session that really focuses, as Lisa mentioned before, on meeting people where they are at. So when you talk about how to work with community members, people in local governments, decision makers, and so on. Um, underserved, you know, elderly, et cetera. Um, here's some creative ideas, but let's first step back and again remember that when someone experiences a, a disaster um, hazard, et cetera, they are not necessarily, um, you know, they're going to all be at different places. They're not going to all be at the same starting point. Um, and so I think that uh, the interactive sessions along those lines will be um, will be of real interest. There is some conversation around blue economy. There'll be conversations about, as I mentioned earlier, green infrastructure, this idea that we don't want to make everything concrete just so we know our homes are safe. So what's what are other ways we can make changes and, and help our communities to be protected from floods and and um, and hazard events? Um, you know, just this idea of dealing with flooding and hazards. Um, there'll be lots of conversation around that and some innovative ideas on how to connect with community members in the face of hazard. Um, and again, you know, you you plan with a lot of different people, but really in times of at times of disaster, in times of recovery, you go to people you trust. So getting these trusted community members with as many tools and and um, and ways that they can help and support and make their community better is it's going to be, I think, a focus of, of many of these talks. And then finally, I would just note this idea that these places, these estuaries, these coastal areas, they provide services to people, whether or not they're paid for, um, whether or not you want them to or not. For example, if there is um, an estuary there, it's it's protecting you from hazard, from flood hazard. If there is an estuary there, the fish are born there that we that we eat regularly as part of our um, diets for those of us who who love uh, seafood and fish. And then there are you know the the benefits of of improved water quality because of these habitats. So these these services that people are willing. Um, and interested in and, and how they perceive the importance of their coastal areas in their daily lives. So that's the flavor of the many different um, sessions that you will see after you walk out of that plenary room and you go along the conference for the next two and a half days. Ooh, 
so important. So important. I have to say that the the focus on community understanding, relationships, there's a lot in here about stakeholder perception, the emotionality of responding to crisis. Um, it is hard for me to look at this and not think that the perspective that is being developed in the Social Coast Forum and it, it is connected to the fact that the leaders of this effort are women. And I, I don't, I mean, no, you know, nothing insulting at all here, but the, the understanding and the perspective that is being brought to the table here is unique. And I wanted to ask, you know, you're as, as the president and the executive director of the association, you mentioned Jan Kuklik. We go back to Margaret, the history here of of this issue. Uh, is it something that y'all are aware of or understand or think about, or am I making something out of nothing? Well, I'll be super candid and say I had never thought about it. Um, one of the, uh, the conference leads is um, Nicholas Schmitz, and um, he, he is a, a phenomenal leader for this conference as well as the many others on the committee that are involved. Um, I think um, I think that um, as we know, if we're looking at social science, as we know, um, you know, we um, we bring a lot of um, we as a, as a community bring a lot of diverse talents. And I think it is more of a reserve culture that crosses, you know, all genders. Okay. In terms of, um, in term, in terms of um, being able to reach out and collaborate, and again, as I mentioned, we see the reserves as leaders in that role with respect to OCM and the leadership now and Margaret's kind of legacy. Um, I just think it's cool that we, as a community, have adopted so many different ways of engaging people. And while some of these may be de facto women's life experiences um, from a gender perspective, um, I think that we see so many um, different strong values and contributions from all the gender participation that we have had in keeping this conference as successful as it is. Man, I am really, really looking forward to the Social Coast Forum 2020, February 3rd through 6th, ladies and gentlemen, Charleston, South Carolina. We'll be covering it on the American Shoreline podcast Network. I want to thank our guest, Rebecca Roth, the executive director of the National Estuarine Research Reserve Association up in Wells, Maine, and one of the principals of putting together this great coastal forum. And Lisa Almiller, the president and assistant manager of the association, and in addition, a, an acting leader at the Jacques Cousteau National Estuarine Research Reserve in Tuckerton, New Jersey. What a what a great role that you guys are playing and bringing this perspective to the fore in the coastal management community. I think the, the future is going to show that you guys laid the groundwork for some really important uh, evolution in coastal management thinking. And I just can't wait to be at that conference. So thanks so much for joining us on the American Shoreline podcast. <laughs>